I wish there was like a black exploitation dictionary that would explain some of the terms. <laughs> we've seen a couple of black exploitation movies now, and some of the stuff, like we all know what a jive turkey is, but some of the expressions in this, I had no idea what they were supposed to mean. I don't think I knew what half of the shit that was said was supposed to mean. There is a lot of terms in here. I mean, obviously, it's not written for us. Uh, we are not the target audience. Oh, my God. The disclaimer's coming in already. Right away. <laughs> um, this is, what, our fourth black exploitation movie? That's right. We've watched two Rudy Raymer movies and also the absolute classic Coffee starring Pam Greer. I'm seeing some themes start to develop in here. Definitely a one-man um, fight on crime is something that seems to be appearing commonly here. Wow, shots fired at Chuck Turner's partner. I mean, Jerry's a part of the movie, but he definitely is not sort of nearly as big a part as uh, as Truck Turner, for sure. Well, yeah, the movie's not called fucking Jerry. <laughs> I also noticed that pimps and hoes play a prominent part in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they do seem to pop up quite a bit, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing Truck Turner starring Isaac Hayes, who is most known for his music. Yeah, Shaft? He is indeed the man who uh, performed the theme song as well as I think the whole soundtrack to Shaft. He won an Oscar for it. And he's also on the soundtrack for this one, which must have been part of the deal, right? Like when they signed him on to act, like we also want you to do the soundtrack. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think music, uh, like especially funky Shaft-esque music, tends to lead a lot of the action in this. And we even start out with his own theme, well, that speaking of uh, staples of the genre, every black exploitation movie that we've watched, I think, has a theme song about the main character. I think it's like an obligation. And yes, we clearly get the Truck Turner main theme to launch us into this thing. But before we go too far with it, as you know, every week we pair a beer with the movie that we are watching. Why don't you tell the folks about this week's beer? I mean, I think it's a pretty good connection. It doesn't really connect with the source material, but certainly in name. We're going to be drinking the Food Truck Lagered Blonde Ale. So our lead character is Truck Turner. We got the Food Truck here. It's hard to get the, the perfect connection here, but I think it works. This is from Henderson Brewing Company. They're out of Toronto, Ontario. They're kind of, I think, one of the early Toronto pioneers in craft brewing. I think they've been around quite a long time. Uh, they have tons of different beers available, all kinds of traditional and kind of modern styles of craft brewing. Um, they do a lot of work with their local community, so they're they're really involved in Toronto itself. And what I thought was really cool, and this is a super nerdy Canadian thing to love, is that they have a huge collaboration on right now with Rush. <laughs> the band Rush. Yeah, so like one of the most Canadian bands of all time for sure. Getty Lee is the the lead singer there. I think he's been working closely with the owners and brewers at Henderson Brewery to, to make their own Rush beer. I think they have one they created together called the Canadian Golden Ale, and it's like mm. Rush's signature beer. If you can call what he does singing. <laughs> Hey, his vocal range is amazing. But uh, I'm excited for this. A lagered blonde, it should be something that's sort of like crisp and clear and easy drinking. So you're going to enjoy this a lot, I think. I have enjoyed this a lot. I've actually been to Henderson. I've tried a few of their beers, but this one is one of my favorites. It is right up my alley, like we said. I mean, a lagered blonde, come on, that's got Cooper written all over it. So I already know I'm going to enjoy this one. I can just sit back and talk movie and not have to sweat out whether or not the fucking beer I'm drinking is going to be terrible. This is nice. Yeah, I feel like this is a quick crusher. I think uh, I definitely should have a second beer beside me while we, we go through this. It's not a bad idea. Why don't we get into this one, though, and then we can take it from there. Let's do it. Shh. 
So we open with the American International logo and the sound of construction, followed quickly by shots of the city and some very, very funky guitar. Isaac Hayes is Truck Turner. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love these funk beats. They play a, a pretty prominent role, like we mentioned before. They pop in every time the action starts getting going, so it, it sets the tone appropriately for an Isaac Hayes starring movie. Oh, 100%, and as we already mentioned, he is singing his own theme song. This opening sequence ends with multiple shots of signs for bail bonds and a man making a call from a payphone. It rings for a while, but even before it's answered, we know who's going to be on the other end of the line. Truck Turner! (laughs) (laughs) They're really setting the tone here, right? They're showing the depravity of the city. A lot of people down on their luck. You know that it's kind of a dark time, and our main character is going to be involved in... Uh, working through that and we find out yes bail bondsman here yeah were you surprised at all that he was waking up alone (laughs) yeah definitely they're trying to tell us really quickly who he is in his room right they do a zoom in on a like a football championship trophy and he's also got a piece strapped to his chest so even sleeps with a gun on him you know he's involved in some pretty dangerous stuff also a lot of albums they're really driving home the isaac hayes music connection So it turns out he's a bounty hunter. I guess that explains all those bail bond signs like you mentioned. And the man calling him is his partner, Jerry. They've got to go collect a bounty that morning, but Truck's day is not starting out well. In addition to the early phone call, he gets out of bed to find that his cat has pissed all over his last clean shirt. Yeah, and instead of wearing a dirty shirt that doesn't have piss on it, he puts that cat piss one right on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What kind of choice is that? And I love that. Uh, immediately after this, he meets with Jerry, and Jerry calls him out on that shit. Oh, yeah, this leads to some low-grade comedy in the car as Jerry teases him for smelling terrible, and they also drop about 15 N-bombs. This uh, this scene is meant to give us a taste of their friendship and also a hint into Truck's personality and general standing in the community as we learn that Jerry's wife does not like Truck Turner. No, he is sort of a more gritty character than Jerry, right? Jerry's there to support him, and we'll get down into this stuff. But it seems like Truck is really a man of the streets, right? Of the people. The amount of N-bombs and the language used in this was fairly jarring for me at first. I was a little concerned with this conversation. But I quickly became accustomed to the language throughout the film. <laughs> Just don't become too accustomed to it. Uh, no, that's clearly indicative of the time. And again, like this is two friends bullshitting in the car. Now, uh, speaking of general things, it turns out the man they're trying to collect is currently on a military base, which, as you might have guessed, is not super receptive to the idea of letting a couple of bounty hunters in, at least not based on the frosty exchange they have with the guards the gate. Hey, you going to bring him out or do we have to go in and get him? What's it going to be, General? Enlist. I tell you, when you try us again on Mother's Day, then you see you won't have any trouble getting in. (laughs) This guard is a racist piece of shit. They are really showing you the level of racism that currently exists in that space, or maybe still does exist, but it was... It was pretty rough. Uh, the people behind the guard are holding a, like, rapist, and they won't let them in, so they just fucking break into a military base? Oh, yeah, he floors it and plows through the gate. Now, there is a great moment in here where Truck Turner says he needs a new tire, and as the guards are shooting at him, he's like, come on, left rear, hit the left rear, and they actually do. <laughs> and as a bonus, they then have to change the tire. That's great shit. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, It was pretty shocking to see the guards pull out an automatic weapon and start shooting at them. You can tell that the action's going to be frequent and aggressive in this film, just on this, like, opening scene here. Oh my god, 100%. 
They end up getting in to see the Major, who tries to stonewall them to protect the shield, in a manner of speaking. But Truck Turner don't play, and after threatening to tell the newspapers the military base is harboring a child molester, the Major agrees to release the man they're looking for, so long as he leaves the base in civilian clothes. And what a piece of work this guy is. Oh my god, you want to talk about racist. Yeah, he immediately starts like belittling and dropping N-bombs and saying all kinds of horrible shit to them. And he tells them he will beat the shit out of them if he unlocks those handcuffs. And I just laughed. I was like, that's silly. Why would they do that? And then we immediately cut to a scene of Truck Turner and this guy fist fighting in a field. Oh my god, and when you say immediately, like, way faster than an ordinary cut. Like, he's barely finished the sentence, and we're just in this close-up action scene of him and Isaac Hayes duking it out. Truck Turner beats the living shit out of this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Jerry was a little bit upset. He was like, you probably shouldn't have beaten him so bad, but... I mean, Truck does not put up with anybody's racism, anyone's shit, and he definitely doesn't like child rapists, so he gave this guy a good-ass beating. Like you said, the cuts were ridiculously fast. This is the first of many I found kind of jarring. It's kind of a thing you're going to see throughout this movie. Oh, big time. Truck says he had this coming, and I totally agree, and they dropped the guy off in jail. Now, it turns out Truck Turner's lady is in jail. She's serving some time, so he asked to pay her a quick visit. They okay it, and this leads to a fantastic sequence where he walks down the prison hallway getting catcalled by the lady prisoners. Or, wait, dog called? What's it called when it's a dude? (laughs) Good question. I don't know. Um, They are definitely uh, hooting and hollering him up, though. They keep talking about him being, like, a nice piece of meat or a large piece of Hot chocolate, I think I heard. uh, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of good ones that come in there. He says that she's going to be out of there tomorrow, so we know she's not going to be in there long. He's looking forward to seeing her and maybe planting a little bit more on her or in her. (laughs) Yeah, man. After this tender scene and a couple of jokes about Jerry's wife being a bitch and Truck Turner getting an STI, they go see legendary bondsman Nate Dinwiddie to collect the bounty for that guy from the military base. Dinwiddie decides to write them a check, which they do not go for, and then he tells Truck and Jerry that a different bondsman has some work for them, which they also don't seem super interested in, at least until he tells them the payoff is five bills. What do you think of old Nate Dinwiddie here? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It's hard to describe this character. Um, What seemed like the used car salesman of uh, Bonds here, just like trying to do whatever to get the most money, but... He's really trying to trick them here. He's trying to set them on a very violent criminal and pimp, right? He's trying to get them to take this job, and it really isn't worth it unless they're going to pay him a lot of money. No, and they recognize the other bondsman's name right away when he says it. They're like, nope, not that fucking guy. But Nate Dinwiddie, who, as you said, just a character, man. Like This is a character actor. This dude never in a million years would ever have been the lead in a movie. He is clearly a supporting cast member. He's something... But he kind of convinces them to go for it. (laughs) This is after they start drinking beer on the job, right? Oh, yeah. They cry a couple of beers right there in the office. Yeah, Coors Originals. They still have the same can now. I thought that was kind of funny. Now, we get a clear padding scene here where Truck and Jerry get a speeding ticket in Jerry's new car. Maybe it's for running a stop sign. I forget. And then we get to meet that other bail bondsman, Fogarty. This is the guy I was thinking of. I think think Nate, I wasn't considering the same way. Nate Nate is a, a little bit like... He's going to put them towards a job that they don't want. But this guy was really trying to sell them on some bullshit. He was like a white court actor guy, right? Yes. I get the used car salesman vibe. I think that's who you're talking about, right? That is exactly who I mean. Yeah. yeah. We can immediately tell that he is a total sleaze bag with like a pink jacket. He's just like fucking sleazy as fuck. But I'm curious. Did you recognize the actor playing him? 
No, no, I didn't recognize who. So I- we have seen this actor twice already on our podcast. Okay, he had a small role as the guy in charge of the ammo lockup in Night of the Creeps. But the more memorable thing was in a little movie called Tales from the Crypt Demon Night, where he played Uncle Willie. Really? Remember old Uncle Willie, the old drunk man who uh, sells out everyone for those uh, babes and alcohol? Yeah, I definitely do. That is yeah, man. hilarious. That's this guy him. has been bit acting for 30 years. Clearly, yes. Yeah, definitely. Now, he wants him to go after a particularly nasty pimp named Gator. That's the mark in this little scheme. Not only has this guy been arrested for pimping, but also for assault. We get some of the details, and they're pretty rough. So when Fogarty tries to lowball them, they walk away, which is a classic negotiating technique. Truck Turner's been at this for a while, and he knows that Fogarty will come running after them with a more appropriate payday, which is exactly what happens. So they're off to find Gator by first heading to a salon, where Truck Turner gets catcalled again, side note, and checking out one of Gator's uh, lady business associates, because as Truck Turner puts it, you want to find a rooster, you got to check out the hens. What a great line. <laughs> yeah, things are um, moving pretty smoothly here. It's interesting because this whole situation seems pretty fucked, right? Like, it's a world that I don't understand, but it definitely feels realistic. Like, it doesn't feel like this isn't something that could be happening at the time. So the movie, for me, is working pretty well. See, I was going to say this feels like a world that might not have actually existed. Like, it's hard for me to uh, conceptualize the idea that once upon a time, there were pimps making enough money and so flagrantly dressing like pimps they were able to own like legitimate mansions in what must be like Los Angeles, right? Like this to me seems so flagrant that how could this have ever happened? <laughs> I guess that's fair. It's funny because I don't have the experience. It's it's hard to know, but it felt like it was working for me at this point. Uh, meeting his like queen whore is pretty interesting here. Oh my god, dude, queen whore. I don't know if that's an appropriate expression. I'm not sure, but like. They use that term a lot to describe them all, and she is clearly the one in charge. She kind of manages his stable. Truck goes and approaches her and tries to get some info. She's not very forthright with him. She's not willing to give him much, is she? Oh my god, no. Now, her name, for the record, is Dorinda, although the rest of Gator's ladies call her Mama. She is a no-nonsense woman who's clearly done well for herself based on her clothes, hair, and jewelry. And in one of the most amazing pieces of casting I've ever seen, she's played by Nichelle Nichols, a.k.a. Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek. Wow, how did I miss that one? Because she looks not at all like fucking Uhura. Like, we saw her in Star Trek Four last season, but my God, this is such a different look. And I have to say, Uhura is a way better looking woman than I realized. <laughs> yeah, I would have never pulled that based on this character. I couldn't have made that connection without you, so... I, I'm going to definitely look at Uhura a different way, I think. I was going to say you'll never watch Star Trek the same again. Now, <laughs> as you said, Truck Turner gets nothing from her here, which Jerry points out. But Truck tells him to just follow the bouncing ball, which, is he talking about her ass? <laughs> or her boobs, because there are no bras in this movie. No, none. No, I think there's a law against it. We do get a pretty close-up shot of her walking away, and there is lots of bouncing, so I think he might have actually been talking about her butt. <laughs> this is a clever move by Truck here. He knows that she's going to lead him to there. Even though she's not willing to give any information, he knows that very soon or eventually she will lead the way. It happened way too fast. Yeah, yeah. Gator pulls up like two seconds later in a car to pick her up. But when she presumably tells him that Truck was asking questions about him, he shoves her 
her away from the car and peels out. So it's chase time. Holy shit, the car chase. <laughs> it's great. The chases in this movie are extra. Like, they are just above and beyond what you'd expect. They put a lot into them. We get this really hilarious... I think it's a pink caddy he's driving. And he rips out of there as they're chasing in their charger, his friend Jerry's wife's new charger or whatever. <laughs> yeah, new car. We know something's going to go bad with that. Like, that's inevitable. They're, otherwise, they wouldn't have had that scene that you called padding where they talk about it, right? Like, I think that was only in there to tell you it was a new car because they were going to fuck it up later. They're doing everything they can to make this chase hilarious. The pink caddy's driving away, and we see a woman with, like, a baby carriage driving along, and the caddy hits it, and bagels fly out everywhere. And we get a, like, a flower cart that gets crashed by it. There's also a homeless man near a barrel of fire that gets hit by the caddy. Like, everything's getting taken out here. Oh, 100%. They are just smashing into everything with their cars. At a couple of different points, they literally turn to steer into whatever's there. It's fucking hilarious. We also get our first close-up look at Gator here, and I've got to say, he looks like a Gator. Like, if you showed me a picture of him and said, like, what's this man's name? I think Gator would be one of my first two guesses. You obviously know his profession, too. It's as stereotypical a pimp uh, appearance as, like, you could ever find. The Gator does what all sort of water animals do, and he takes them on a chase through the water treatment plant here. Oh, is that what it was? I was not totally clear what uh, whether it was like that or some kind of like dam or fish farm or something. But yeah, before that happens, though, he ends up bailing out of his car and sending it into a ditch. Only the car explodes before hitting the ground, which I'm not sure is what would happen. Oh, it was hilarious. Clearly, they'd set up an explosion in the trunk or something because it explodes from the back, too, which is pretty funny. Uh, he watches it kind of go over and then runs away on foot. This is where he ends up leading them to this water treatment plant. And, and that whole thing is pretty hilarious. They park their car and chase him over the things of water and into the plant. But what happens uh, when they get in there? Well, he fucking circles back around. And I don't know if they the keys in the car or what, but he gets in and takes off in Jerry's wife's new car. So that could have gone better. Yeah, they left the keys in the car for sure. Like, what the fuck? You're chasing this guy and you leave your car to get stolen when you know his has been exploded? It's a rookie move. Their car gets stolen. They're fucked, right? This chase is over. Oh, no. They flag down a truck and make the driver chase him. And they do eventually get Gator off the road when truck shoots the car, much to Jerry's chagrin. But Gator's a slippery one, and he once again takes off on foot, this time to a local dive bar, where he offers everyone in the place 50 bucks each to stop the two men who are about to come through the door. And I have to say, that's a pretty great strategy. Yeah, and it works. These two get trapped into this bar fight for quite some time. They take a couple, like, pretty good looks but they beat the shit out of like 10 guys oh yeah for sure and we know it's gonna happen this is actually a pretty great sequence though the music is pumping bodies are flying everywhere at least until truck pulls out his giant gun and shoots a bullet into the air this puts a stop to everything and we get a fantastic line here if anybody asks you what happened tell them you've been hit by a truck matt truck turner shit if i had known that was truck turner you'd have to pay me more than 50 dollars <laughs> Which, now that I hear it, is actually sounds cooler if you don't think about it. Like, $50 is not a lot of money, so it's a fairly obvious statement, but I still enjoyed it. No, I liked it. This scene was pretty good. Um, it made me question what they were allowed to get away with as, like, bounty hunters. They, they fucking carjacked somebody with guns, 
right? They beat the shit out of tons of people. They destroyed all kinds of public property. Like, so having seen a lot of like movies from the seventies where a one man, whatever vigilante bounty hunter is like working sort of parallel to the police. I guess it would kind of vary depending on where you are and most importantly who on the police force like supports or doesn't support you. But it seems like there's kind of an informal working agreement where like as long as you don't like legitimately kill like a civilian, whatever happens kind of just happens. Let's not forget there also was a time where if you got into like a fist fight, nobody was going to the police. You just kind of like the fight happened and everyone walked away. So again, indicative of the era. But no, I think there was some kind of cooperation at least between bounty hunters and the police, at least in this time. We see a little bit more of his relationship with some of the police later in this movie, and it seems like they have a pretty good working relationship, so they let him get away with quite a bit of stuff. They don't want him to make a mess of the streets, because I think they have to explain it a bit, but they don't arrest him for any of it. The carjacking in particular to me was pretty hilarious. Like, not for the guy who got carjacked, but the fact that you just pulled guns on a guy and made him, like, continue a car chase and there was no consequence for that is so much fun. I like the chase a lot. It was good. And the ending in the bar was hilarious. Yeah, now if you thought that scene was exciting, from there we head to the palatial estate of Truck Turner's friend Duke, played by the one and only Scatman Crothers. Truck refers to him as royalty, and he's pretty clearly also a pimp, just an older one with a stable of ladies that caters to a more mature clientele. He also asked one of them to bring him another cream de menthe, which was hilarious to me. Like, yeah. That's like, not quite right. He looks like he's at a, like, southern mansion. He's living really, really high. He did really well in the pimp business, uh, he, and he's like a classic pimp. He's not one of those, like modern, dirty, get-down, grungy pimps. He was a classic pimp, and obviously Truck's going here because he hopes he has some more information on this gator guy, right? He he probably, despite not being in the game anymore, still has some connections in the pimping world, and maybe he knows where Gator is. No, definitely, and he points Truck Turner in the direction of Gator after first warning him that someone else is also looking for him, another tough pimp named Harvard Blue, which is an awesome name. Truck and Jerry scope out an alley for a specific homeless guy who regularly works the neighborhood and knows where to find everyone. He tells them that in addition to prostitutes, Gator is also involved in the dope game and, after a little financial compensation, even points them towards the local drug dealer. Yeah, so they are really good at getting leads, right? They're not willing to have anything get in their way. What do they do with this drug dealer to get the info out of him? Oh my god, they barge into his apartment, scoop him off the ground, and hang him out of a third-story window until he eventually gives up Gator's location. They bring the drug dealer along and have him call from a payphone telling Gator that he's got some dynamite stuff to lure him out of hiding. But the dealer is less than convincing, so Truck Turner kicks him through the phone booth and we get a shootout at the house. This was awesome. Yeah, I mean... Gator has told this drug dealer never to call him at this location, and as soon as he does, he knows something's up. The poor acting from the drug dealer leads him to get his ass kicked and sent through this glass door. I thought that uh, he might just get wasted here. I thought he might just get a bullet to the brain, but he's kind enough to just kick him through a whole bunch of glass. And then we get, yeah, what is a pretty epic shootout? One thing I'm going to say for people in this movie is they are not very good at shooting guns. Fuck, they're terrible. I had this thought later. They can't hit anybody. So it's Gator in the house with his, like, girlfriend of sorts. I don't know if she's a prostitute or not. 100% um, she is. Come on. Yeah, you would you would assume so. But the reason why the other pimp was mad at him is because he took this, like, blonde white woman from her. But the two of them are together. He knows something's up. And as soon as he sees Turner, he starts shooting out the window. He does, definitely. Now, eventually, he does get outside trying to escape. 
and they've got him dead to rights. He tries to offer them a bribe, but really he's going for his gun. And as soon as he pulls it out, Truck Turner guns him down, so they are not going to be bringing him alive. This seems like it's over at this point, but we get a close call here as that blonde woman you mentioned runs out, he's flopping in the breeze and stabs Jerry. (laughs) I assumed he was dead here because of the extreme close-up, but he's fine, and they collect their money afterwards. Yeah, this ending of the scene is pretty fucked up. They actually shoot out for a while, no one hitting each other. Truck somehow manages to climb on top of a shed or something, and with that higher ground, he catches Gator unaware. They blast a shit out of him, and then, yeah, you're right, this woman runs out. Did you see what she stabbed him with? I couldn't really tell. I thought it was like a regular kitchen knife, but it was something different. It was giant scissors, like scissors that I have never, ever seen anything comparably to that size. They were massive, and he pl- she plunges it right into what looks like his back or neck, and I thought he was toast too, but we transitioned to him being fine and collecting that money. There's Gator down, and they each are $1,000 richer. Definitely. Now the next morning, Truck picks up his lady from jail. A few hours late, maybe, but he brought some beer. She's not exactly pleased, but she still sleeps with him. Was it weird to you at all that Isaac Hayes is singing the song playing in the background during the romantic parts? Like, would you ever consider having sex while music of you singing in the background plays? Or is that like a bridge too far? (laughs) Wow, that's a good question. Would I bone down to music that I created? I guarantee Isaac Hayes has fucked people to Shaft. Like, I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> of all the songs of Isaac Hayes, that's like the <laughs> least romantic one. Why would you pick that one? Well, because it Shaft to me is so, like, erection-based. It just sounds like a just the name of it in general. I, I think that definitely happens. You're right. There's probably much better songs that Isaac Hayes has that he bones down to. But I'm pretty sure he does this regularly to his catalog. If I had the R&B sort of talent, if if I was like him or maybe a Brian McKnight, maybe uh, <laughs> Brian throw that McKnight. out there. Wow. That is <laughs> a name I one. never thought we'd hear I, on this I would, podcast. I'd go back to one for sure. Oh, I was a giant Brian McKnight fan, and I don't know why. <laughs> this is a strange admission. <laughs> that there, does but. not surprise me at all. You're a big 90s music guy. <laughs> Brian, Brian McKnight, there you go. Um, this is interesting when he goes to meet her. He's late because he was drinking to celebrate the extra money, right? That's why he's late and she's pissed. She does f- him regardless of it. They don't show any of it, which I thought was interesting. I was surprised by that. I thought we were going to get a sex scene. Not so much. At this point in the movie, we get a truly incredible sight now. It's a pimp's funeral for Gator, obviously. There's a procession of Cadillacs. I think they're Cadillacs. Ladies are wearing extremely revealing funeral attire, if you can call it that, and just incredible outfit after incredible outfit from the pimps. I think my favorite was the white guy with the powder blue suit and bedazzled eye patch. I wrote that down, too. This guy is a Bond villain. Like, he literally is a Bond villain that they've thrown in the movie. But you're right. The outfits on all of the pimps and the outfits on the women are just so ridiculous for a funeral. We've got all these people kind of mourning. One guy, like, ashes into the coffin, which I no, thought no, was kind of weird. No, no, he dumps a little cocaine in there is what it is. Oh, okay, That's I missed snowman. That. He comes up later. Uh, okay, so we snowmans him. There you go. So I, I, I was confused on that one. But then we get a close-up of a car and another pimp walk out with some security. And he comes and just drops some giant spit on Gator. Yeah, now that is Harvard Blue. We know it has to be played by Yafet Koto, who is like star of several black exploitation and mainstream movies. And yeah, when he arrives, it's like the seas just part. And the whole crowd dissipates. He just walks right through. And like you mentioned, spits in the coffin. I guess he's mad at Gator for stealing that lady, like you said. 
Now, with Gator dead, there is a sudden void created in the pimp game. His stable of ladies is without a leader, and all the other pimps are circling. Dorinda assumes control in a quick scene before the wake, and she makes it clear to the other pimps that she wants Truck Turner dead. They're all pretty hesitant to do anything, though, so she shows them what they're playing for by bringing out the stable and running through their stats like an NBA announcer. This part was awesome. This bitch grows $37,500 working part-time. Shit, her clients think she's too good to f***. They call her Colonel Sanders because she's finger-licking good. Oh, mama. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. God, that's incredible. She goes through the annual earnings of each one, dropping why they earned it. She calls one of them Turnpike because people pay when they get on and off, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, man, it's so good. So the whole scene where Dorinda is talking to the like group of uh, ladies of the night here, she, she tells them that she'll going to cut them, and then she immediately transitions to telling them their family. It's the most hilarious thing to me, right? She's like, I will cut any one of you who leaves, and then she's like, we love each other, we're family, we're going to stick in this together. Her character's pretty good, and she does a good job telling what kind of value she's going to bring to the person who takes out Truck Turner. We know Truck's in trouble. These guys are going to want to take him out just to get a hold of all of these ladies. Of course, and as you mentioned, their fucking annual income. At the end of this scene, it's still not completely clear whether any of the pimps are going to go for this or not. Eyepatch walks away, and Harvard Blue basically says she's coming in way too hot. But we've got 40 minutes of movie left, so I'm pretty sure there will be at least a couple of takers. And right away, our first pimp takes his shot literally as he tries to shoot Truck Turner while he's carrying groceries home with his lady. He scores a direct hit on the grocery bag, which is right in front of Truck Turner's torso, but all that happens is some milk explodes. How did that not kill him? Yeah, I had the exact same question. I thought the actual effect of the bag exploding from the gunshot was really well done. The moment was really cool, but the fact that the bag of groceries stopped the bullet from hitting him was absolutely bullshit. Yeah, there's no indication of anything like solid in there. It wasn't carrying home a fucking frying pan or something. It made no sense. Uh, Truck and his lady return home. She's understandably shaken by this, but even more so when they open the door to find Harvard Blue relaxing on their couch. He offers a warning that the pimps are going to just keep coming and suggests Truck retire to a beach somewhere. Now, that's obviously not going to happen, but as we see in the next scene, it turns out Harvard Blue and Eyepatch are conspiring to kill him anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, he's in trouble. He's got all those pimps coming after him. He's been warned. I don't think Harvard really wanted him around. I think he would rather take over that stable of women rather than have to deal with Truck himself. He knows it's kind of trouble. I want to throw back to the death of that first pimp who shot at them, though. It was just so poorly acted. The guy was flailing around, and they had that, like, slow-mo arms waving in the air as he got shot. We transitioned from them sort of being afraid of this to them having sex and or asking for sex for breakfast is that what sort of transpires there yeah yeah they wake up and she's like what do you want for breakfast and he's like what do you think but then the cat interrupts them so he's like you're fucking out of here he goes take the cat up to the roof and this is where we get a second attempt on his life because harvard blue has sent someone else to kill a truck in his apartment this guy subtly dressed in a white fur shirt and giant hat this is not exactly an inconspicuous outfit if you're trying to kill someone you know what i mean It's the most stereotypical pimp hat 
I could ever imagine. Just this big, like, oversized hat. Why was he on the upper outside of that fire escape? I know he wanted to kill him, but how did he climb up there? And why did he know that truck would be coming out there? Well, there is a second guy who showed up later. So maybe the plan was, like, to send him in that direction. The other guy pick him off. And it just worked out the opposite way. I don't really know. But I agree. Several things have gone wrong here. What happens again in this scene that I actually noticed earlier, too, was they keep going to this weird angled shot of Truck Turner and his enormous gun when he's shooting. It's not quite a fishbowl lens, but it's kind of close. He just fires off this cannon, and the reaction shots of these guys getting killed are pretty hilarious. You already mentioned the one, but these two, it's the same thing. These, like, delayed reactions and the fake blood. Yeah, it's funny. There was definitely some, like, directional or cinematography related to the use of that. This is where I noted how comically large his gun was, so I kind of noticed the same thing. It's just... Such a, a crazy hand cannon. There's no reason for him to have a gun that big, but I guess it makes a point and it works for him. And it doubles as a penis. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can put that in and it will blast no problem. <laughs> he actually does threaten later on in the movie to make one of the prostitutes deep throat this fucking six-inch barrel. So I think he was talking about the gun. If Yeah, if she could take it down, then uh, she probably is one of the women who made like the 30000 plus a year, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Now, with a pair of failed attempts here, Harvard Blue swings by Gator's old place and offers Dorinda a new deal, one that only promises her 25% of the future take from Gator's stable, but he guarantees he'll kill Truck Turner. And how is he going to do that? By bringing in some heavy hitters from out of town. Yeah, he calls it insurance, or he says it's his insurance policy, so he's going to pay for some hitman to come out. I kind of assume they're going to be European. I don't know why I feel like that, but I, I was like, oh, these are probably going to be Europeans. Well, one of them was um, Italian. They called him Joe Dante, which is kind of an in-joke because Joe Dante, the director, uh, was at the time working for American International Pictures. So, Ah, there you go. I didn't know that. So that's a pretty good little joke there. So they've hired him, and they're they're going to take out Truck now, right? He's, he's in trouble. But they want to have a plan, right? They want to sort of set it up so they can take him out with too little effort. Yeah, and they decide to basically do what he tried to do with Gator, which is lure him out. To do this, they go to Nate Dinwiddie's bail bond store, rough him up, and have him put a late-night call into the truck. Please come there. Tell him it's a big job when you're in trouble. It's a big job. I'm in trouble. Truck can tell that something is wrong, so he wakes up Jerry and tells him to meet him down there. But Truck's had a few drinks and ends up falling back asleep, I guess, which hangs Jerry out to dry. And although he survived that stabbing earlier, Jerry will not survive getting blasted by about five shotguns at close range. Yeah, so I was wondering with this whole thing was setting up a final shootout. It's a little too early in the movie for that. We do see Jerry head down there, and like you say, he gets blasted away, and he's not making it out of this one. They are really building a rising tension here. They're building some anger for Truck. His two friends, I think, maybe are dead. I'm not quite sure what's happened to uh, the bail bondsman there. I we, We're not sure whether he's dead or alive. He just looks really bloodied up, but we know Jerry's gone, and... Truck's not going to take well to this. No. Now, you mentioned Jerry getting blown away by these shotguns. It's really the dummy that they put in there to be Jerry that gets blown away. We mentioned this during our coffee episode, how prevalent the use of dummies was. This is another clear example when they shoot him. His body folds up and flies backwards like an old puppet with arms just flopping all over the place. Fucking classic. Yeah, the blood work here is a little funny, too. I actually thought most of the gunshot stuff was reasonable for the time. Like, I thought it was decently done. But this one doesn't look very real at all. You're right. Well, he's just so clearly a dummy, which, again, is like we've seen that in so many movies now, but it always cracks me up every single time. 
As you mentioned, Chuck's the one looking for revenge now. He pays a quick visit to Nate Dinwiddie in the hospital where he finds out he's not dead, but he is going to lose the use of his eye. And he's there to find out who exactly hit him. I'd say that Harvard Blue better watch his ass, but as we see in the next scene, he is not afraid. What happens when uh, Chuck and his lady get home? So the place is trashed, and uh, they find their fucking cat hung up. Like, when you're murdering a cat, who sets up a noose and hangs the fucking thing? You know what? I'm glad you mentioned this because I want to be very clear. I'm firmly against animal cruelty, and I know this was supposed to be a serious, jarring moment, but I burst out laughing when I saw that cat because it's so fucking ridiculous. Nobody would kill a cat by hanging. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I guess you're trying to prove a point, but they could have just left a dead cat there and it would have done the same thing. You didn't need to create a noose for it and hang it from the ceiling. Well, that's why I was laughing because I'm like, it's so absurd, like of all the things. And plus it looks clearly fake also. So it's like, you know, I get what they're going for, but it just, it was one of those things where the production value was so low that I couldn't help but laugh. And I felt bad about it afterwards, but whatever. Well, now we know he wants revenge for this cat killing. He is fucking pissed. His girlfriend's mad. But what's he going to do? She's kind of in the way. He doesn't want her to get hurt, too. He knows they're playing a dangerous game here. And the best thing to do to keep his lady safe is to get her out of town. She refuses to leave, though, so he's got two options. Knock her the fuck out like Tom Cody did in Streets of Fire. Or get her (laughs) sent back to jail. He wisely wisely decides to do the second one, taking her shopping and setting it up so it looks like she was stealing a dress. With her prior arrest, also for theft, she's going right back in the clink, and I'm guessing it'll take more than a six-pack the next time he picks her up from jail to get her to forgive him. Yeah, this whole scene I actually quite enjoyed. I thought was clever. They were drinking at a bar together before this happened, and all of a sudden it dawned on him that he needed to get her put away. So it's like, let's go shopping. He gives her a whole bunch of dresses, and she heads into the dressing room to try them on. While she's in there, he fills her purse with perfume and other stuff, too. So it's not just the dress she's going to get in trouble for. It's all that other shit. He even goes over and tells the security guard that she's going to steal, and they arrest her immediately. She's out of the way, and now he can go get his revenge without worrying about her safety. You're right, she's pissed. He's going to have to give her hours of to get past this one. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. It's always got to go sexual with you. I don't know why. With her safely out of the way, it's time to settle the score with Harvard Blue. So, after a quick stop at Eyepatch's place to find out where he is, Truck loads up his giant gun and storms the house. Side note, how did he know where Eyepatch's house was? Or even that he was involved? Because I'm pretty sure Nate mentioned Blue, but I don't think he mentioned the guy with the eye patch. Well, so, I think they actually, this is a setup from Blue's side. They actually feed Truck a little bit of information. They want him to go after Eyepatch guy. They show a scene where Eyepatch doesn't want to be, he says he doesn't want to be involved in being the bait, but they convince him to do so, and then they feed Truck the information to where he is. And they have all of these hitmen set up with shotguns, so he's going to go down, but what happens? Well, I guess to your point, the setup thing explains why Harvard Blue wasn't there, because he blows them away in about five seconds, and we quickly cut to Truck in the hospital visiting Nate Dinwiddie. Now, he's there to find out more about Gator, but also to slip Nate a gun, which is exceptionally good timing, as it turns out, because Harvard Blue and some goons immediately show up at the hospital and start shooting. This was batshit. I'm going to go back to the house for a second. It's all hitmen. Like, they're all trained killers. There's like three of them, though. It's not that many. But he ends them all without him taking any damage, and it's not even close. The one does a hilarious, like, flip from a roof into some water. I thought there was some fun stunt work there. 
when he gives the gun to his buddy in the hospital and says, you may need this, I lost my mind when it immediately turned into a firefight with Blue. Right away. Like, you may like, need this. It's happening yeah. right now. Yeah. They didn't even cut away. There was no cut. There was no time. There wasn't, like, they should have put another scene in there, anything. But it immediately turned into a shootout, which was hilarious. Well, and then it turns into a foot race through the hospital with Truck Turner chasing Blue. There's a ton of shooting, which we mentioned they can't hit anybody, and laughable blood effects. And finally, Harvard Blue decides to improve his chances of escape by using a little kid as a human shield. Now, this gets him as far as the elevator, but Truck Turner races down the stairs, and the second the elevator door opens, he shoots Harvard Blue in the leg. Blue stumbles outside, where we get yet another example of the Truck Turner shooting lens, and Truck putting a shot clean in the center of his back. This chase lasts for a long time. There is a lot of truck chasing after Blue. They're in several hospital rooms. Blue shoots and kills like several patients on the way before he grabs that child. If this happened, there's no way that truck gets out of this without some consequences from the police. After he shoots Blue in the back, we get another. You've talked a lot about this like gun camera angle. We get a really weird camera angle from Blue's perspective. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they do kind of an artistic thing where Harvard Blue has been shot several times. He's clearly dying, but he staggers towards his car and they're alternating between close-ups of Yafet Koto's confused face and like a blurred shot of the car. And all we hear is the wind blowing. I was surprised by this. This is a sudden infusion of film craft here. Yeah, very much so. It kind of took me aback. If there hadn't been those gunshots, it would have felt even weirder, but it did feel out of place based on what had happened just before this. But... They are telling you he's done. They're telling you Truck's got him. It ends with him sitting down in his car. And uh, actually what I thought was a pretty good moment, blood sort of, he kind of spits it out from his mouth and he has that final moment before his head falls onto the steering wheel and we get the horn. Classic. That's such a classic thing. Um, Yeah, but with that, all the pimps are dead. Well, all the ones trying to kill Truck Turner anyway. So there's only one thing left to do. Head to Gator's old place and tell Dorinda she's out of business. Now, she does not take that well, so he ends up having to shoot her, too. Cut that act, bitch. Before you get that piece out, your ass is air conditioned. Chuck Turner, you ain't gonna kill no woman. And after a quick stop to pick his lady up from jail again, Truck Turner rides off into the sunset, leaving the city behind for a new life somewhere else. Yeah, somehow Patch gets away, I guess. Well, he wasn't actually trying to kill Truck Turner. No, he didn't want to be a part of that. So he, well, he didn't want to be a part of the hunting of Truck Turner, but he was a part of Blue's kind of crew and all the other stuff that was happening. But he gets away. Like you said before, um, Truck's girl is pissed when he shows up, obviously. How does he convince her to get in the car? Well, he's packed up all their stuff. So he's going to, he promised he'd take her out of town. He's going to do it. And he brings a new baby kitten to make up for the cat that was fucking lynched in their apartment. And, and that's the seller. The kitten shows up. They show the kitten has pissed all over the front seat, too. I didn't notice says, that, but that's funny. Well, he even says it's another pisser. Like, he says that as a moment. And then it kind of ends with her, like, picking up the kitten, sitting in the seat, and then making out. She sits in a pile of piss. Like, just a pile of it. She just sits down and then makes out with him. And that's the end of the movie. And I just couldn't accept it. It was like... It just set me off at the end there. I was I'm just, sure somebody wipes it off first. Come on. No, there's no... Well, I mean, the actress didn't have to, but it, why that choice? Uh, you could say that about a few of the choices in this movie, but like I said, we're into the credits now. And I'm curious, this is your fourth Blastoitation movie, as we mentioned at the beginning. 
Where are you right now with the genre in general? Like, would you say you're a fan or not really? I'm enjoying it. I like it for a couple of reasons, I'd say. I think the action in them is really fun. Yeah. There's been a lot of really, really good action. They're obviously way over the top and not tremendously realistic, but that makes them so good for this podcast and so much fun to watch. You said it was realistic earlier. You claimed realism early on in this movie. I felt like the story was real. I had never claimed that the action sequences were realistic. Okay, that's fair. So I'm, I'm, I enjoy all of that. I felt like the music sets a pretty good tone. I feel like the lead characters are usually engaging. There's usually a nice mix of nudity and sexuality in these movies, which is always <laughs> yeah. fun too. Not so much in this one though, which is surprising considering how many prostitutes are involved. Yeah, I thought there maybe could have been a little more. All right, save it for your enjoyment rating, okay? You don't need to go whole <laughs> It's funny because of the ones we've watched, I enjoyed this and coffee more than the other two we watched. More than Human Tornado? Wow, well, I can't so even believe it. I really liked Human Tornado. I think the martial arts and the um, action in that one is the most fun out of all of them. But I hated the sheriff character and the way that it went down. I prefer the one-man, like, fight on crime, I guess. Uh, I like the more gritty kind of style. Okay. And I mean, then, it's certainly less realistic. Like, the Dolby movies are less realistic than these ones. They're just more absurd with the whole rhyming speaking and the kung fu and yeah, stuff. So, yeah. That's true. That one you can see being a 10 for ridiculousness more than the others. But... Um, I, I like this in coffee a lot. Okay, but before we go much further, because we are, we are starting to kind of segue into our ratings now, I feel. I agree with what you said. I'm glad you're enjoying the genre. I think I mentioned this back when we watched Human Tornado, but for me, and we even talked about it in this episode, like, if this world ever existed, I clearly never experienced it, never got to, would never have even if I was alive. So, like, to see this kind of window into a different reality is so interesting to me. Like, to see it, wondering if that's what it was really like, there's something so interesting about that because it was such a different world from the one that like I grew up with and knew. No, that's definitely fair. I think that there's got to be a lot of that stuff being produced now that's telling stories that are not Hollywood stories that we don't see very often either. And I'm curious if we can find some of those movies too. Probably, yeah. But I don't know if those would deserve to be on our podcast necessarily because they might be a little more serious in tone, right? That's true. They probably won't fit with our our, our sort of comedy podcast, but the, I'd be interested to watch just as a like moviegoer or someone who enjoys learning those other stories. Okay, well, speaking of interesting things you might want to learn, did you know that this originally was not going to be a black exploitation movie? Whoa, really? Yeah, it was written with a few different white actors in mind, but when the studio couldn't get them, they pivoted to Isaac Hayes, thus giving us the masterpiece that we just watched. Really? I, I yeah. wonder who they went after as the, like, was Bronson lined up to be the star of this movie? I don't think so. I, oh, I read a thing about this. I should remember the name. I think Lee Marvin was one of them, like classic action hero Lee Marvin. Charles Bronson would have fit, but they also, I think, dramatically changed the script once they pivoted to black exploitation. Different genres kind of make sense, but this might have been something completely different. And I think we'd be worse off for that, actually. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have been talking about it, which is which is funny, right? So we've uh, gone as far as we can with that, I think. This would be a good time probably to segue to our ratings. The way we do this, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, I have to say, uh, this movie is definitely a 10 out of 10 bad Again, it's the genre in general, but just, like, the caliber of, like, set design, the action pieces, the kind of workarounds they have to do on a very, very limited budget. You're just, you're working at a disadvantage right away. Like, some of the production value, just so low. The jarring cuts, the really obvious overdubs, 
Isaac Hayes is a lead man. Listen, he's a, a guy's a great singer. I don't think he's necessarily a great actor or even a good actor or even a pretty good actor. These things kind of took me out of it a little bit because they're so noticeable. So I firmly believe this is 10 out of 10 bad. What do you think? Uh, I had it as a 9 out of 10 bad. Okay, so we're not that far off. We're not too far off. Uh, the things for me, acting for sure was a part of it for me. There was some pretty bad acting in there. I actually thought Hayes carried it reasonably well for being a musician. The cuts I found really jarring. You mentioned those already. I thought that was difficult. I thought a few of the deaths were really, really cheesy, including Jerry's. And although I loved the chase scenes, they were also just absolutely, like, ridiculous. But also, so it's funny because they added to both my bad and my enjoyability rating, I guess, because they were so ridiculous, but also so much fun. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm naming bad things about this, but those also added to my enjoyment rating. So it wasn't enough to, like, really hurt my viewing of the film. Speaking of the enjoyment, how, what did you have it on a scale of 1 to 10 for how much you enjoyed the movie? Also a 9. Okay, yeah. I had it as a solid 9-9. Nine, nine. I thought it was um, really enjoyable. I laughed a lot. Um, sometimes when it was supposed to be and a lot of times when it wasn't. I thought the action moved really well. I thought the Isaac Hayes music, both the Truck Turner song and all the intros and the funky guitar that led into so much of it was really fun. I actually like the like setup and payoff of the story. Okay. That was part of why I didn't give it a 10 bad, I would say, is because I thought that the actual like introduction of the characters and then the build and the constant like things that were leading to a resolution worked really well and enjoyed the resolution when it happened. I thought there were some good deaths. Despite there being some bad deaths, I thought the the actual things that happened. So overall, I, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It, it was one of the more fun ones that I've watched lately. I actually agree. You kind of talked me into this now. The story was pretty logical in terms of how it progressed from one part to the next. I'm going to retroactively knock my 10 down to a 9. You convinced me on that one. I think you're right. It's not that bad. <laughs> there was the one scene I thought was padding, but overall, it had a pretty logical flow. Some of the stuff in it was a little too easy, and it happened a little too quickly. Like we already mentioned, like fucking uh, Harvard Blue showing up in the hospital. I'm like, listen, I appreciate they made this 90 minutes, but a couple of these things, you could have maybe fleshed it out to like 95, 96 and not had it be quite so absurd. I'll knock it down to a nine. I also have it as a nine for enjoyable. I was real close to a crit 20 on this. Like this movie is really, really fun. There are some great lines in this. And as with any exploitation movie involving pimps, which let's be honest, is most of them, the costumes are just incredible. Like I could not get over what people were wearing. I was like every third person who walked on screen like popped me because of the clothes they had on. I wish there had been a good end line here or at least a one-liner when he shoots Jeff at Kodo. Like it kind of just happens and that's it. The, the addition of a little something would have really put it over the top for me, like the Schwarzenegger line or a Bronson line, like something like that. So I have it as a nine, but really, really fun. I strongly recommend Truck Turner to anyone who wants to have a good time. If you like absurd fucking 70s stuff and or the exploitation genre, if you haven't seen this, get on it. It's a great fucking time. I definitely agree. Really fun. You forgot to mention that a 10 would have happened if you saw a lot more Isaac Hayes banging. That would have helped you, I think. That would have got you there. <laughs> I did not uh, mention the nudity because you already covered it. But sure, more nudity <laughs> would have bumped up to a 10 also. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was really fun. It's great that our ratings have hit on a shared 18 here, which is, which is fun. I think it's funny that we are like getting into conflict less about the movies we're watching. I don't know if that's me changing or you changing or just the nature of the movies we're watching. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, maybe we're getting better at picking ones that are both bad and enjoyable, and that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, we need some more Sweet Novembers where we're just completely Oh, my off. God. We do not need more Sweet Novembers <laughs> at all. No, thank oh, you. So says you, but, uh, I mean, lots of our other listeners would love to hear some more Sweet November talk, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, speaking of <laughs> things that we do need more of, what do you think of this beer? Yeah, oh my goodness, incredibly easy to drink. I think we were both done this within like 15, 20 minutes of talking about this movie today. Um, really crisp, uh, really a little bit sweet, like I guess most blondes are sweet, crisp, mild carbonation. So I feel like you could sit in an afternoon and crush a bunch of these for sure. Yeah, and I have, and I have not regretted it. I really enjoy this beer. Like I said, this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite one that Henderson makes. And uh, it's pretty easily available in Ontario. So if you live in Ontario and you haven't tried this yet and you like regular beer, not shitty IPAs, you should jump on this and uh, you will not regret it. Why the unnecessary IPA hate in here? This is, uh, we should just be promoting this delicious lagered blonde ale from Henderson Brewing without hating on IPAs. You know what? You should also try Henderson's IPA offerings. I bet you they are incredible. You've never been before. That's really surprising to me. I know, it's one of the few Toronto breweries that I haven't had a chance to visit, and I, I'm going to have to make a point of going and, and getting there, because, I mean, their beer's good, and uh, I love visiting new breweries, so that's got to be a road trip for us sometime soon. Well, uh, the beer's a winner, clearly, regardless of how you feel about IPAs, and uh, next week, perhaps, may also be a winner, depending on how you feel about the 80s, and or Michael J. Fox. Because next week, we are going to be watching Michael J. Fox's uh, somewhat notorious comedy, Teen Wolf. Oh, shit. Teen Wolf. This is a bad... I don't, I've never seen it, but I know that it's popular. All I can kind of recognize or think about is a, like, slam-dunking werewolf. So I expect there's going to be basketball and hairiness. Oh, yes. the He is a big basketball player, and the basketball scenes in this are definitely worth talking about. So... That's going to be next week. Before then, if you have not, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, feel free to send us any suggestions for movies and or beers or to tell us about how awesome we're doing. We'd love that. You can also send us recommendations to our email, thebnbpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, we've actually got an audience request coming up real soon, but that's a couple weeks ahead of us. Next week, we hope you'll join us for Teen Wolf. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep on trucking. Didn't you already use that and we did it over the top? Oh, fuck. <laughs> ah, it, there's nothing better. It's got to stick. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. He's out to get before he's got. <laughs> <laughs>